listening to the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger for the Great Lake region. Hello out there in Michigan For Radio the Land. Nurse family we'll talk about three issues briefly. Now, I'm just going to say that we'll late last year, uh, program. a supplemental First, budget like of $325,000 we talked about this passed, a week ago, a proposed uh, as part of a lawsuit $1.3 billion supplemental state legislative appropriation by the Michigan Legislature the for redrawing of at least what is called the Nurse Family Michigan Partnership. State I believe House this particular grant out. is going to and Kent and Ingham counties a trial. And I have got Amanda Lick here. Was uh, Amanda Lick, thank you for being with us. Week and completed Thank you so this much week. for having me today, Bill. Okay, uh, let me ask you, what is the Nurse Family Partnership? Here a little Could bit? you just give our listeners three judge federal a panel uh, handling the so League of Women Voters versus Benson Case and what rejected it is, a controversial is a proposed settlement on the lawsuit between Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson so those and nurses the go plaintiffs. in um, to and the, the homes and they visit with Republicans who said the consent decree that Jocelyn Benson and the goal of those visits had sought is was to help pregnancy outcomes, in child health and wellness. The court, which to that point, and then to help them had largely goals, ruled um, to in the plaintiff's favor, said that a settlement um, so would be improper without the consent of the Republican elected really officials who intervened in the case. Further, it said Mrs. Benson lacked the authority to, to enter the into a settlement. She can be. Jocelyn Benson claimed okay, in that the she past was a couple of decades, let's say, with how many families to settle litigation with binding effect on Michigan's political so subdivision, the but the court, of this which has two judges appointed by Democratic presidents, scoffed at the argument. So, and then since we began implementing uh, a mission across 10 sites, ensued, we have served around 5,700 uh, families. Tuesday, and it was completed. So by how widespread uh, is it in Michigan? Thursday I mean, for instance, this if week, this grant uh, by the legislature in December Justice was for Kent and counties. That's just the two U.S. out of 83 counties. What about the rest go of the ahead state? Despite right, Republican so we have 10 locations um, across until the, the U.S. Supreme and Court could really, rule um, on a couple of important reapportionment, redistricting cases in other states so like Maryland and North Carolina. That's not expected until June. So that's where things stand right now. The federal court, three-judge panel in Detroit, has in said County, the trial is Oakland over, County, Macomb, we've taken all Kent, the testimony Genesee, we're going to take, Ingham, but Kalamazoo, uh, Saginaw, the plaintiffs Dayton, and defendants Calhoun. can submit um, and further material and brief up until February 22nd, and then we're going to make a decision shortly I know there have been some studies where to go. done this is on whether on what uh, the might be called the return maps in the state of Michigan of must be withdrawn childhood uh, investments. I should say redrawn. Uh, can you give me so when? some indication uh, of will it be what you think year, the return on investment or is? Could that wait until 2020? This particular we'll program, the Nurse Family Partner. Now, uh, absolutely. Beyond um, that, you know, so we're always uh, looking issue at issue number two. Models uh, or um, ways Whitmer, prevention, intervention uh, issued that can make the greatest impact. Order and so, this week, 
Back in creating a new department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy. An analysis uh, but the legislature uh, had some problems with it. And the state house rejected the executive order. With a first time our long partisan line, Jennifer, excuse me, Gretchen Whitmer, as you ROI know, is a Democrat, but Republicans control both the state house and the state senate. And the house has rejected the executive order. Executive order really, the first you know, time that an executive order issued by a governor has been rejected so since Jennifer Granholm had one rejected back in 2004. Um, but the, the Senate has not yet voted great. on the executive order. I'm talking order. to Amanda Lick. They're she unhappy with the government well. affairs manager of the Great Lakes Region of the Nurse Family Partnership. Amanda Lick, let's look at demographics a little bit. I mean, what's uh, in the next the week or so? The legislature has 60 uh, days to act on that. Uh, Gretchen sure. Whitmer so was not happy said, um, about the, model, uh, the action operate, of the legislature, um, but bear in mind that the legislature does uh, have the power under the Constitution to reject executive so orders. This happened moms, numerous um, times, or the threat of it uh, happened numerous times back in the 1970s when the political shoe was on the other foot. Governor William G. Milliken at that time was a Republican and you had a state house of representatives um, and a state highest, senate um, controlled the by the Democrats. The, um, and they rejected one of Governor Milliken's executive orders, and they threatened to do many uh, others. And so the governor uh, and the legislature would negotiate, and they would come to some agreement on issuing a new executive order, which the legislature could accept. Or they would actually pass a law which the governor would sign. That would but put into really effect what the governor wanted. So this practice of legislative reaction to governor's programs, executive orders um, has happened over a long period of time. It just hasn't happened much recently. Um, and Governor Whitmer probably would be well advised um, to not get too distraught over the reaction by the Republican-controlled legislature. Because she may want to get problem. other executive Moms orders passed in the future, and she should make peace with them and negotiate, but we'll see Moms, what happens. Um, with depression, you now, really there was also a hearing in the Senate. Uh, the Finance Committee, chaired um, by uh, Jim Brunstad, who is a Republican now, say the from White Lake young, in Oakland you mean County, the median age might on be getting somewhere rid of Michigan's pension tax, which has been yes, in effect in Michigan, the since the spring of 2011, and which and is not Medicaid? popular Most among of these moms many are on people Medicaid, in the general right? public. It brings in yes, $320 million to the state treasury. Legislators have been hearing on the campaign trail for eight years that this and the Michigan outcomes, you say, uh, pension uh, tax, a very high which percentage, not like maybe, the spring what, 90% of babies in Michigan is a non-starter with term. them. They don't like it. They yes, want the legislature to get rid of it. So you know, let's see what happens. Of the, the uh, we're going to have a couple of guests, but I'm just going to mention 
that you never need to miss a minute of the political insiders this show tell your friends those you care about and those you're a little worried about they can hear the program live by going to the website www.theballengerreport.com that's the Ballinger Report T-H-E B as a boy A-L-L-E-N-G-E-R Report R-E-P-O-R-T all one word, theballengerreport.com. Uh, did the legislature the ever before last Internet, year make uh, an appropriation the title to the nurse of family the show you want? They're the all archived there and playing no, sight. Did, um, we'll they did make right an appropriation the during the You can get the program. Um, and and um, uh, we're so working on expanding the reach of the program there. every then, single day. And we can tell you we have some announcements. Coming soon. I got about, you. Uh, well, look, uh, we could talk about this a lot longer, next. but it sounds like a I'll heck mention of a good also program. There is the Friday morning podcast, great things, which is a separate and program. I wish you all the best of luck in the, the future and success with, with the Michigan Legislature and getting future all the programs are archived. Thank you, Amanda Lick. And for that matter, the BallingerReport.com carries day. articles, written articles that are not on the radio. But you can read them there. So you've got a mixture of the Political Insider, part of the Michigan You're listening Talk to the Network, Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's now, Bill. Uh, this will be the 37th beginning. We have returned June, and we have and then another we've got guest. Podcast uh, he is back two and Preston a half state years. senator. On Jim the show, and we have White also Lake, got a Republican articles. Uh, uh, I say freshman, so, but he's no deal. Uh, a lot to uh, pay attention to. He was three to. terms on We've the Oakland County Board of Commissioners. Uh, he served two terms in the State House of Representatives in the 44th District in Central Western Whitmer, Oakland County. Uh, before the and he is now the State Senator and House the in the State Capitol and the Supreme Court District. Big event. Senator Runstead, welcome to the political February 12th. I'll be back Good morning, in a minute. Bill. Glad to be here. I'd just like to mention uh, before we start that um, Senator Runstad is chairman of the Finance Committee in the Senate, very important committee. Uh, he is also on the Appropriations Subcommittee on Justice and Public Safety. He's vice chairman of that. Uh, he's on the overall Appropriations Committee, of course. And he's uh, on the Education and Career Readiness Committee, the Family, Seniors, and Veterans Committee. Uh, he's on the Judiciary and Public Safety Committee. In fact, he was chairman of the House Judiciary Committee in the last session of the legislature when he was a state representative. And he is also on the Appropriations Subcommittee on Capital Outlay. I'd like to uh, start by asking him, he's got so many irons in the fire and so many things to talk about, but I'd like to ask him about something uh, he's interested in, he's introduced legislation on, and that is stopping what is called the revolving door uh, between legislators who exit the state capitol and step into a cushy uh, six-figure job in the lobbying corps uh, immediately with no cooling off period whatsoever, uh, which doesn't look too good to a lot of the public, even though we've been blessed by having no scandals with respect to this, as far as I can determine. 
So I'd like to ask Senator Runstad, what about this bill? I think it's Senate Bill 57. Uh, that's uh, correct, Bill. And uh, the concern that I have is uh, a lot of it is uh, the perception of the public. Uh, there was a national organization that uh, looks at transparency in the various states, and Michigan was 50 out of 50. We're still 50 out of 50. So anything and everything we can do, excuse me, to uh, to give the public uh, some some sense of uh, of uh, relief that uh, we're moving in the right direction on transparency is a positive. And Michigan is only one of 12 states that does not have a waiting period, a cooling off period. Excuse me, so that you can be a legislator, and the very next day after you've termed out of the office, you can step into a nice a lobbying position. And there's always concern when you know the legislature and Congress and all of these entities are off in the distance. You know, in this case, Lansing or Washington. And the public can't see what's going on at a day-by-day basis. Is there something untoward that is occurring? Is there kind of a, a sleight of hand, a quid pro quo that, well, if you hold this bill up or if you fast-track this bill, you know, there's a nice uh, job waiting for you. Now, that's illegal. It's uh, not to be done, but it doesn't say that there isn't the public concern that subtleties can exist. And this would just wipe that out because... Those legislators, after they uh, have left office, we have the shortest term limits. And so within two years, you have a third gone and a third coming in every cycle. And so that legislator's influence would begin to diminish. However, if they're really good at what they're doing and and they really have value after that two years, they would be able to uh, still be hired by a company. Well, when you mentioned Michigan is 50th out of 50 states in terms of uh, transparency, I mean, I think Michigan is one of only two states where legislators are not required to divulge any sort of personal financial information whatsoever. I mean, we're one of only two states that does not require that in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Congress uh, demands that that be done. What about that? Is that something you think would be a step Michigan could take and might uh, be interested in introducing legislation on that? Absolutely. In fact, I've asked my staff to look into what are the traditional disclosures because I'm looking at releasing my personal information as well uh, as a starting point. And uh, this is a bill that I certainly would like to introduce. Anything that we can do to give the public uh, some assurance that we are moving in the right direction is going to be a positive. I just put in a bill this week that said that if an entity violates the Open Meetings Act and they are sued by an individual in the community, and if the entity loses, then that entity owes the uh, legal fees to that individual. That's currently not the case, and it will ensure that these entities are not playing fast and loose with the law, that if they are violating open meetings and they get sued, they're going to have to pay. The only other question I have about any of this legislation is what realistically are the chances you can get it passed? I mean, a lot of this stuff, I got to tell you, Senator, has been around for almost half a century in bill form. Uh, Legislators in the past have introduced it and it never gets anywhere. 
you're you're correct, but I don't think that there's ever been the kind of publicity that is currently going on now. There is a real will out there in the populace that we solve these problems. I was hearing it at the doors. I've probably had more publicity to my uh, lobbying bill to to preclude these uh, individuals from stepping into these jobs right out of office than anything I've had in years. There's a lot of public interest, and I think that when the legislators start hearing from the people in their communities that, hey, Michigan's got to be cleaned up. We can't be uh, behind the rest of the states. We need to be leading. And so I think there's going to be a lot of support in the legislature that maybe wasn't there before that is going to be there now. Let's talk about something else. Um, Pension tax. You are chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, and I think you had a committee meeting this week on legislation to get rid of what is called the pension tax. That's kind of an erroneous description of it, but it's been in effect since the spring of 2011, eight years, uh, not very popular in many quarters of the state. You were not a member of the legislature at that time, so you're not responsible for it. And now there's a big effort uh, to get rid of it. And, in fact, Governor Whitmer and her defeated Republican opponent for Governor Bill Schuette both backed efforts to get rid of the pension tax during their campaign last year. So what's going on with that? Well, in, in discussing with uh, with the gov- Governor Snyder, who's uh, now out of office, but uh, – uh, you know, what was the, the impetus behind this? And like you said, I wasn't there, so I was trying to gather information. And, and the way it was working is that if you had a public pension, you did not get taxed. But if you had a private pension or you had a 401k or IRA, you did have to pay the state income tax. And he felt that it was unfair that this category only did not pay the tax and thus persuaded the legislature to move ahead with adding uh, the um, public pensions into the tax equation. So in talking about what to do to fix this and remedy it, it's about a $300 million, uh, hit to the budget. I've also heard from a lot of stakeholders that say, hey, why should just this category, but the rest of the categories uh, continue to pay, but now the public employees don't. So we're working very diligent on diligently on this. I had... Uh, uh, David Zinn to come in, who's our uh, expert, and he explained the complexity. I don't think there was a committee member there that did not understand how this pension tax uh, was implemented and how it works and what the ramifications are. So it was a very, very informative meeting, and it's a starting point because uh, a lot of things change when you make these moves. We've got to find that what is going to be hit to the budget. Is the administration going to be on board with this? So there's a lot of discussion we're going to have, but I feel pretty confident we're going to get something uh, out that is going to be able to be supported by the legislature and help be signed by the governor. Thank you, Senator Runstead. We're going to take a short break here, but we'll be back with Senator Runstead because I got a bunch of other issues I want to ask him about. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned and we have another guest. Uh, he is freshman state senator Jim Runstad of White Lake, a Republican. Um, I say freshman, but he's no neophyte. 
Uh, he was three terms on the Oakland County Board of Commissioners. He served two terms in the State House of Representatives in the 44th District in Central Western Oakland County. And he is now the state senator from the 15th State Senate uh, District. Uh, senator Runstead, welcome to the Political Insider. Good morning, Bill. Glad to be here. I'd just like to mention uh, before we start that uh, Senator Runstad is chairman of the Finance Committee in the Senate, very important committee. Uh, he is also on the Appropriations Subcommittee on Justice and Public Safety. He's vice chairman of that. Uh, he's on the overall Appropriations Committee, of course, and he's... Uh, on the Education and Career Readiness Committee, the Family, Seniors, and Veterans Committee. Uh, he's on the Judiciary and Public Safety Committee. In fact, he was chairman of the House Judiciary Committee in the last session of the legislature when he was a state representative. And he is also on the Appropriations Subcommittee on Capital Outlay. I'd like to uh, start by asking him, he's got so many irons in the fire and so many things to talk about, but I'd like to ask him about something uh, he's interested in, he's introduced legislation on, and that is stopping what is called the revolving door uh, between legislators who exit the state capitol and step into a cushy uh, six-figure job in the lobbying corps uh, immediately with no cooling-off period whatsoever. Uh, which doesn't look too good to a lot of the public, even though we've been blessed by having no scandals with respect to this, as far as I can determine. So I'd like to ask Senator Runstad, what about this bill? I think it's Senate Bill 57. Uh, that's uh, correct, Bill. And uh, the concern that I have is uh, a lot of it is uh, the perception of the public uh, there was a national organization that uh, looks at transparency in the various states, and Michigan was 50 out of 50. We're still 50 out of 50. So anything and everything we can do, excuse me, to uh, to give the public uh, some some sense of uh, of relief that uh, we're moving in the right direction on transparency is a positive. And Michigan is only one of 12 states that does not have a waiting period, a cooling-off period, excuse me, so that you can be a legislator, and the very next day, after you've termed out of the office, you can step into a nice a lobbying position. And there's always concern when, you know, the legislature and Congress and all of these entities are off in the distance, you know, in this case, Lansing or Washington, and the public can't see what's going on at a day-by-day -day basis. Is there something untoward that is occurring? Is there kind of a, a sleight of hand, a quid pro quo that, well, if you hold this bill up or if you fast-track this bill, you know, there's a nice uh, job waiting for you. Now, that's illegal. It's uh, not to be done, but it doesn't say that there isn't the public concern that subtleties can exist. And this would just wipe that out because... Those legislators, after they uh, have left office, we have the shortest term limits. And so within you know, two years, you have a third gone and a third coming in every cycle. And so that legislator's influence would begin to diminish. 
However, if they're really good at what they're doing and, and they really have value after that two years, they would be able to still be hired by a company. Well, when you mentioned Michigan is 50th out of 50 states in terms of uh, transparency, I mean, I think Michigan is one of only two states where legislators are not required to divulge any sort of personal financial information whatsoever. I mean, we're one of only two states that does not require that in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Congress uh, demands that that be done. What about that? Is that something you think would be a step Michigan could take and might Uh, be interested in introducing legislation on that? Absolutely. In fact, I've asked my staff to look into what are the traditional disclosures because I'm uh, looking at uh, releasing my personal information as well uh, as a starting point. And uh, this is a bill that I certainly would like to introduce. Anything that we can do to give the public uh, some assurance that we are moving in the right direction is going to be a positive. I just put in a bill this week that said that if an entity violates the Open Meetings Act and they are sued by an individual in the community, and if the entity loses, then that entity owes the uh, legal fees to that individual. That's currently not the case, and it will ensure that these entities are not playing fast and loose with the law, that if they are violating open meetings and they get sued, they're going to have to pay. The only other question I have about any of this legislation is what realistically are the chances you can get it passed? I mean, a lot of this stuff, I got to tell you, Senator, has been around for almost half a century in bill form. Uh, Legislators in the past have introduced it, and it never gets anywhere. You're you're correct, but I don't think that there's ever been the kind of publicity that is currently going on now. There is a real will out there in the populace that we solve these problems. I was hearing it at the doors. I've probably had more publicity to my uh, lobbying bill to to preclude these uh, individuals from stepping into these jobs right out of office than anything I've had in years. There's a lot of public interest, and I think that when the legislators start hearing from the people in their communities that, hey, Michigan's got to be cleaned up. We can't be uh, behind the rest of the states. We need to be leading. And so I think there's going to be a lot of support in the legislature that maybe wasn't there before that is going to be there now. Let's talk about something else. Um, pension tax. You are chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, and I think you had a committee meeting this week on legislation to get rid of what is called the pension tax. That's kind of an erroneous description of it, but it's been in effect since the spring of 2011, eight years, uh, not very popular in many quarters of the state. You were not a member of the legislature at that time, so you're not responsible for it. And now there's a big effort uh, to get rid of it. And in fact, Governor Whitmer and her defeated Republican opponent for Governor Bill Schuette both backed efforts to get rid of the pension tax during their campaign last year. So what's going on with that? Well, in, in discussing with uh, with the gov- Governor Snyder, who's uh, now out of office, but uh, uh, you know what was the, the impetus behind this? And like you said, I wasn't there, so I was trying to gather information. And, and the way it was working is that if you had a public pension, you did not get taxed. 
But if you had a private pension and you had a 401k or IRA, you did have to pay the state income tax. And he felt that it was unfair that this category only did not pay the tax and thus persuaded the legislature to move ahead with adding uh, the um, public pensions into the tax equation. So in talking about what to do to fix this and remedy it, it's about a $300 million, uh, hit to the budget. I've also heard from a lot of stakeholders that say, hey, why should just this category, but the rest of the categories uh, continue to pay, but now the public employees don't. So we're working very diligent on, diligently on this. I had uh, uh, David Zinn come in, who's our uh, expert, and he explained the complexity. I don't think there was a committee member there that did not understand how this pension tax uh, was implemented and how it works and what the ramifications are. So it was a very, very informative meeting, and it's a starting point because uh, a lot of things change when you make these moves. We've got to find what is going to be hit to the budget. Is the administration going to be on board with this? So there's a lot of discussion we're going to have, but I feel pretty confident we're going to get something uh, out that is going to be able to be supported by the legislature and help be signed by the governor. Thank you, Senator Runstead. We're going to take a short break here, but we'll be back with Senator Runstead because I got a bunch of other issues I want to ask him about. Stay tuned. This is MTN, and you're listening to the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We're back with Senator Jim Runstead, a Republican of White Lake in Oakland County. He is uh, chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. He's on a whole bunch of other committees, uh, particularly uh, the Appropriations Committee and subcommittees. Um, He's in the middle of a lot of very important legislation that's going on. I'd like to ask him about another subject that hasn't gotten that much attention but he's pretty passionate about, as I understand it, Senate Bill 77. Uh, I don't know. What do you call that? The granny cam legislation? <laughs> well, I don't know what you call it. Will you tell us what it is? I, I certainly will, because of any uh, piece of legislation I have ever introduced or, or sponsored, I have never seen the passion connected to this bill that seniors have uh, expressed an outpouring, and that is the requirement this bill would have that nursing homes and even some assisted living centers would be required to permit the family members, the loved ones, to install a camera in the room of their loved one, and that would be able to record the video portion. Now, we wouldn't be able to do audio because there's some legal ramifications here, but the video portion that would give the family assurance that things are not going on in that room that are endangering the lives of their loved ones. And I have watched video after video uh, in other states, because most states do permit this uh, in nursing homes, that are are horror stories. I watched one just two days ago of an 89-year-old war hero uh, hitting the button in his room over and over. The family had clandestinely installed this camera, and he was not being responded to through the whole day. He then started having breathing problems. They finally did come in. They brought in an oxygen uh, tank, and they couldn't figure out how to make it work. As he's suffocating, they're laughing and fiddling with the 
the thing, and he eventually died. Uh, the testimony from the two nurses in the room were that we were doing a chest compressions to save this individual. When one of us wore out, the other took over. And when the authorities looked at the video, all they did was laugh as he died. They never touched him. They never put their hands on him. And this is the kind of thing that if we don't have uh, video uh, evidence, we would never have known. They would have just lied about it and uh, went on their merry way. There is, uh, in Grand Rapids, a lady being released from prison who murdered five women in prison. Uh, had some kind of a, a sexual thrill out of, of murdering these women. Uh, sexual assaults on women who are comatose in prisons, are, I'm sorry, in nursing homes, are, uh, are just rampant. Uh, there's case after case of hearing this, of these women being impregnated, either by staff or by roving members of the uh, residents uh, in the facility. So this will permit the family members in real time to be able to watch what's going on in that room and have evidence if there is wrongdoing and basically be assured that their family members are not being abused in these uh, facilities. Has legislation like yours come close to passing at any point in the recent past, or is this really the first major push for it? What do you think its chances are? I think it's the first major push, and the only uh, objection I've heard is from the nursing homes. But uh, they, they don't have much uh, to stand on. I watched uh, videos recently of uh, staff uh, dumping a elderly person out of the, the wheelchair on the floor, hitting them in the face, and then, then testifying that, well, they, they slipped and fell getting out of the, uh, the uh, wheelchair. So uh, the groundswell of support, I think there's going to be from seniors across the state of Michigan. If this doesn't pass, they are going to really be talking to the legislators. I've talked to a couple senior groups, and they said, tell us the bill number, because I hadn't introduced it yet. We will call our legislators. We will make sure this happens. I've never seen more passion uh, on the part of seniors than this. And, uh, you know, Bill, you and I both, we're going to get up there someday where we're going to potentially be infirm. Uh, we don't want to uh, be exposed to that kind of violence and, and abuse. So it's something that really needs to happen, and I think that, that legislators who may stand in the way are going to really pay a price. Let's turn to another subject, uh, very different, uh, civil asset forfeiture. Now, in the last session of the legislature, when you, Senator Runstad, were still in the House, I think you had a bill in on this. Also, your House colleague at the time, Peter Lucido, had a bill in. Um, his, I think, passed the House, went over to the Senate, but it was pigeonholed in the Senate Judiciary Committee, never passed, and there was some talk uh, by at least the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee at that time, Rick Jones, who is now term limited out of office, that maybe your approach was better. Can you explain to our listeners what is civil asset forfeiture and is there a good chance that something will happen on that in this session of the legislature? Sure. And for people who aren't familiar with civil asset forfeiture, it's like a 600-year-old common law that goes back to piracy and pirates, uh, pirates or companies that captured another ship and what happens with that merchandise. And fast forward it to today, what actually happens if the, uh, the material, the property is suspected as being part of the crime, that, that uh, property is actually charged, not the individual. It's kind of crazy. They charge the property with the crime, 
And so even if there isn't a convicted individual who owns the property, the property could be convicted and thus uh, forfeit over to that uh, government entity. And when I was sitting on a committee, the, the most egregious one I remember was there was a uh, art uh, fundraiser down in Detroit, and all these high-end Beamers and Lexus and uh, Lamborghinis had showed up to donate uh, their money to the art uh, fundraiser, and there was a few kids that were drinking underage, and so the police declared it a criminal enterprise, and they hooked all the cars, hauled them into the impound, and everybody was told you have to pay $999 to get your car back. And so they called their attorneys. They said, well, it's civil asset forfeiture. It's going to be six months to get your car back. If ever, just pay the $1,000, which they all did. Well, I mean, they never anticipated that going to donate their money and, and support a cause is going to put them as a criminal enterprise because a few kids are drinking underage. And that's the kind of thing where you could have real abuses. And this bill that uh, uh, Senator Lacido put in and the bill that I put in were designed to uh, prevent these kinds of uh, activities. In my bill, it said that if there's a civil asset forfeiture by law enforcement, it goes directly first to the prosecutor, because I've talked to a lot of prosecutors that say, if we had oversight, we look at some of this stuff as in no way. You give that right back. This, this person had a receipt for that, that $10,000 in the car from the bank. Uh, you can't uh, seize that. So that would have been the bill I had and the bill that uh, Senator Lucido had. Uh, What's a conviction of the individual before you could seize that property? That did pass out of our uh, Senate Judiciary Committee and is now on the floor of the Senate. So I think there's going to be a lot of movement on uh, probably both of these bills, but there's maybe some negotiating, some tweaking of, uh, of Senator Lucido's bill, I think, before it actually comes out and gets signed by the governor. But there's a lot of momentum, and I, I certainly believe that something's going to happen in both these cases. Doesn't a lot of civil asset forfeiture uh, circle around drug cases? They do. Uh, that's that's the majority of the cases. And I did, when I had in the judiciary as the chair, I had meetings around the state, and I heard a lot from law enforcement. And we pretty much agreed that a person who has $50,000, $500,000 in cash, vacuum, vacuum sealed in a secret compartment in a vehicle with no uh, demonstrated evidence where it came from is probably a drug meal. And so in those cases, we do permit them to do the uh, civil asset forfeiture. But anything under 50000 uh, could be a whole host of innocent people. And so in all those cases, uh, you have to have a conviction in order to um, uh, get that, that, uh, uh, that asset. But if it's a big drug dealer operator, couldn't he or she just break up? what they've got in money into denominations lower than 50000 and handle it that way? Well, they usually like to do them because they're transporting these on, uh, on highways that are known as drug highways all the way down across the southern border. And they, the more trips they take, the more jeopardy they're in. They usually like to take large amounts, not small amounts, or these uh, drug mules to get the money back to Mexico. So they take them over the border, they they deliver the money, and then there's a shipment by somebody else. So the drug mule's main job is carrying the money, 
and uh, the law enforcement is getting better and better at spotting these individuals. So they're getting caught more often, and the more trips, the smaller numbers, really jeopardizes their enterprise. Okay, Senator, I wish we could keep on talking because uh, we've only talked on four or five subjects. My God, we'd have, you know, a dozen or two dozen more we could talk about, but we run out of time. But thank you so much, Senator Jim Runstad, Republican of White Lake, our guest on The Political Insider.